Welcome to episode 206 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganville, and today I'm very happy to welcome to the show Fairgrounds analyst Kevin Kilroy. Me and Kevin go over three races from this past Saturday at the fairgrounds, those races being 1, 6, and 13. And some angles that we talk about are why Nash's maiden win isn't as flattering as it seems. And we also talk about how I took a shipper in race number one that had overwhelmingly good buyer numbers who couldn't live up to the hype. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Now let's welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Redboard Rewind. We have him on usually all winter long. It's Fairgrounds analyst Kevin Kilroy. Kevin, how are you? Spencer, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Um, as we were talking a little bit before the show, just back in Kansas City, and um, it's gray. There's just snow and slush all over the place. The kids were another snow day yesterday, but they're back in school today. I'm going to be able to get my head about me and uh, and uh, sort of uh, reground and, and get ready to look at next week, man. But uh, but otherwise, things are are pretty solid, man. That was a fun week. Fun week down in New Orleans. When you said gray, I thought you were going to say gray eight for that wonderful win the other day for uh, your beloved Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, getting back through six years in a row now, conference champions, as we're not going to talk much uh, horse racing on the power of yeah. football. All I gotta say is, man, I, I can already feel that third ring. I can already feel it, man. It's it's happening. It's it's it's. This is gonna be the grittiest um, of of all our of our all our Super Bowls. So what what a team, man! And and this was what we were hoping for the whole season is that uh, you know in the postseason we would we would really lock in because you know once you get to this level, we've seen it a lot with these big teams. You know, it really doesn't doesn't matter quite the same until you get here. So, but I'm talking now. We still gotta get Baltimore. That's gonna be tough. Uh, if they do end up getting the job done, they're going to have to build an extra ring there for T-Swift. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Give it to her, baby. Give it to her. <laughs> so just some things I thought that was a little bit interesting to talk about. Um, from my point of view, obviously, I'm so used to going through all these different cards throughout the week, and usually it's that 48-hour notice. You know, For the Saturday card, they, they draw them on Wednesday. You have to kind of get through those next two days. Plus, obviously – Usually the track you're trying to handicap is also running over those two days. And it seems to be always a tight fit. You guys always draw so early. And I have noticed this year specifically, some other tracks are also drawing extra early as well now. I can only think that that's good for the game. That way people, if they work a nine to five, they have three or four days to go through the card. And obviously 13 races is no easy or small you know, facet. How important is you to get all these extra days and when you're looking at these cards? Yeah, that's something that I've just been so spoiled about since this has been, you know, my first job in the industry was with Fairgrounds. And I remember Beam, he asked me about that my first year. And I really just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I never thought about it before. But I mean, when I cover, you know, in the, in the off season, I do all, you know, all sorts of little freelance stuff. It's so tough, man. It's so tough. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you, when you're, when you're just trying to turn around your opinions and, and squeeze it in with everything you've got to, got to do. So I, 
you know, in between tournaments and tracks, if you, you just got to set people up to give them time, to give them an opportunity to, uh, to handicap it and, and get at it. And I understand if you do it early, you know, it can, leaves you vulnerable for horses not to be able to make it, you know, and all that sort of stuff. They can't actually enter the race that they, they drew into and, um, and run the gates. But yeah, I mean, come on people, let's, let's do it. We're doing it. And I, I'm glad it helps you all, you know, helps you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a no brainer to me. I've never really asked what the negative is of it or why all the other tracks don't follow suit. I'm sure there's something higher up above everyone else's pay grade is the reason why they do not. I'm yeah. Not- I just, I just, I just hear that it's because, you know, a, a week out, you don't always know, you know, if your horse is, is, is going to, going to actually want to run, right. Different things can happen, can run a temperature or whatever, you know? Um, so that's that's what I've heard. It's just that it's harder to make sure to ensure that your your entries are actually runners, you know. Okay. Um, and there's got to be more to it. There always is, but that's what I've heard. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. What's the other thing I also want to bring up? Let's talk about our one of our favorite trainers, uh, Mr. Brad Cox. For me, this guy was someone who, when he was coming on the scene, I was lucky. I I kind of feel like I give up and coming trainers sometimes a little bit extra juice when they first come on. I can see them start to string wings wins together. And he had such a good first couple of years. And now I kind of almost equate him on the trainer side to Irad in just money pouring in on him. And I feel like people forget that there's people at fairgrounds like Steve Asmussen and just other, you know, trainers, you know, we always talk about Saratoga and how good those guys are. If it's Todd or if it's, you know, Chad Brown, uh, Brad doesn't, at some tracks like Ellis Park and that, yeah, he, he's got the best barn by miles. But I think it, here, he's still going to have his good number. He's still going to have that good winning percentage. But he's not always the mortal lock that I think you think of the other nine months, you know, half months out of the year when he's running at these other, you know, quote unquote, smaller tracks. Yeah, I mean, well, he did win four on on yeah. Saturday. Um, he, he won four. And it's, you know, with all these it's just getting that nuanced feel for really which, which ones are, are going to, are going to win and which ones aren't, you know, it does seem like he always gets one at a price. Um, it was a uh, mosaico man, I believe on a uh, gun runner day. Mm-hmm. And then uh Galea princess um, on, uh, on this past day. So he gets, he gets a couple at a price and then there's ones where, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't come through, but I mean, I think you're making a good point in terms of, the fact that you could maybe get value on a horse like track phantom is, yeah. is mind blowing, right. You know, um, relatively so, you know, it's still a short price, but uh, not the favorite and that sort of situation. Um, and if you can find those little spots, you, you can, you can really, uh, you can multiply that, you know, and you can work with that. So, um, it's, yeah, it's a great thing to keep in mind is just how you're working with these trainers that they get over bet and, um, definitely deservedly. So I believe on, on the big days, um, and throughout the meet, you know, with, with Cox, but you just got to be able to get that, that feel and know how to take your shots against them. And, and, you know, Spencer, I mean, I, I, I try to beat Brad Cox all the time just because, just because he, he's over bet. Right. And, and that's how I play. And it, it's, it backfires on me. It does, you know, I, I, I get stupid about it. So, um, I think, uh, one thing that I got to get better at, about is, um, play what the race gives me, you know, as opposed to, the way I want to go attack it because of my sort of, uh, you know, my, my approach to this game and what I love about it, which is, which is trying to find prices and trying to be creative. So, um, yeah, One he stuck the, it to me a couple times on Saturday. 
100%. One of the races he kind of stuck it to me, too. Uh, one of the races we were thinking about talking about, but I'll kind of bring up really quick here, was race number eight, one of the maiden special weights, where he had two in, Exploration and Cornishman. And I'm just at the point now where if a big-time trainer like this has two in, I'm either using two or I'm using the bigger price. Because how many times do we just see it, especially like out in Southern California, Bob Baffert, like one horse is three to five, the other's eight to one. All of a sudden, there's the eight to one out in a gallop just winning by six. So, uh, yeah, if if they're going to have two in, there's got to be a reason. They don't like one over the other. If they're uh, when they scratch one out, that's the big difference to me because that means that maybe they think the other one really is like the the, the quote unquote biggest knees as the winner of that race. B dancer from Dallas Stewart got the job done and paid one of the bigger prices on that card from Saturday. But just, yeah, I, I think with Brad, if you break him down like by a week to week or even month to month basis. On Formulator, you can find these kind of little hidden spots where, oh, man, he's, you know, he might be at 20%, but he's 0 for 12 with his maiden runners over the last month. And you kind of have to find him in lulls in specific, you know, subcategories. He's never going to be, you know, 0 for 15, maybe over one weekend, but that's when he's ice, ice cold, and it's even hard to pick up on there. But you have to study these top 10 trainers, like, in a week-by-week, month-by-month basis. Because based on some of these old old books I read, and I think it was for like an aqueduct winner track meet back in the nineties. They were doing this, you know, study, but 90% of the races are won by the top 10 jockeys. Now, usually the top 10 jockeys are in every race. So it's kind of a hard thing to do, but when you can knock out, you know, four or five horses, just based on who's on them, sometimes that cuts your handicapping down by a ton. Yeah. But also gives away, you know, a, a fantastic angle of actually getting value because you know, the market's, um, thinking like that, I mean, you know, I think that's the, the the rational way that that these races are approached. So, not that you should go swinging with those, you know, the jockeys that aren't the top ten all the time every race. But if you can find those spots, you're really going to get, um, uh, yeah, a, you know, a big value edge. You're going to get a big edge if you if you like a you know a horse that uh, isn't ridden by one of the top ones because a lot of the betters do gravitate that way. I mean, that race eight though, it's interesting because um, ex- exploration was the uh the favorite right at uh um seven to five mm-hmm. and then cornishman um yeah second favorite but uh seven to two so cornishman if you're watching the workouts has been had been out working exploration except for this one little moment where he had to kind of sort of go out wide and got a little bit slower of a time i think it was two uh two works before the race there and um he just had to avoid somebody on the track but he had been out working them um, but it, so close that, you know, I could see why they'd be about the same price. But I think when you see Louis Saez, I think the betters, um, really gravitate towards that. So Saez yeah. was up on exploration and I think he took a lot more money there. So also figuring out the calls that he's making, um, cause obviously float rides a lot, a lot of good horses for him. Um, Ethan energy, I think got overbet as well because Saez was up on that one, right? You're thinking, oh, that's why Saez came in town to ride Ethan energy and all that sort of stuff, you know, later in the in the uh, LeCompte. Um, yeah, there's all these little little sub things you got to think about, right? Not only just the, what's your horse that you like, but uh, whether you're going to get uh, something worthwhile to uh, to put your money behind. It's not like finding a horse is hard enough in a race. Now we got to figure out. <laughs> you, you know, know it, man. That, but this the... stuff's fun, right? I, I love all the little <laughs> subtleties. And uh, sometimes you can be right for, for the wrong reasons, but still. I feel like I'm right for the wrong reason more than I'm right for the right reason. But let's jump into these first of three races we're going to talk about. We're going to start with the opener from this past Saturday at Fairgrounds. We're going to go with the state bred. Non-Warriors of Three Lifetime Allowance. Six furlongs on the dirt. 
I just thought this race was super, super interesting when you break it down. And I'm, I'm not one. This is a good question for you coming up, but uh, shippers coming in the fairgrounds, obviously for me being around the game long enough, Delta Downs is not the fairgrounds for anyone who's, who's interested. Uh, and this one had improving buyer fix for the last four races. And I just been kind of knocking, uh, knocking the races off down there with the uh, last time out winner, two really close seconds before that. And this one, I just thought kind of laid over the field at five to two. And I thought maybe we'd keep a decent price. This one ended up going off at eight to one. And at that point, I kind of just punched my ticket in and just said, okay, hopefully I'm smarter than the rest. And uh, as we'll hear the race call later, we'll see if that was true or not. But what did you like in this one, Kev? Yeah, I think you got a great price there. I mean, it seemed like the form was going in the right direction, right? With boss sauce and, um, you know, buyers were looking much better, but, you know, looking at uh, some different numbers, like a third graph, you know, it wasn't, wasn't quite the, uh, um, the lay over the field as it might've seemed, which, you know, five to two morning line made sense to me on the boss sauce. Um, very chilly, but this was an interesting race in terms of how it was getting bet where you have, um, uh, Tarco, Jose Camejo, um, Luis Saez called, you know, Camejo likes to, to get the, the big name riders, um, up on these big days. So you never know if that's a, a live, horse you know that size wants to ride or Kameho's paying extra to get you know a big name yeah. up there or however that might work out i'm almost just speculating but blinkers go on um on charco and um Kameho just gets them and he's got that uh, it's that classic situation with a you know why claim charco well you look at those those figures where where asmussen got him to in 2022 and he, he ran some big numbers and if you can get him back there then you know it could be it could be you know the, the best horse in the race um Kameo had a similar win earlier and i think it was on friday um so i was interested in charco my glory b was fantastic last time stepped forward in a big way uh this would be the first start i mean basically second start as a four-year-old after that uh, December 30th effort, but seemed like, you know, we were going to go in the right direction, but the connections you see, sweet Hodges, you talk about, you know, Manuel Nieves, this horse isn't going to get bet very hard because, you know, just the market is not quite as familiar with, uh, with, with Hodges and, and Nieves. Yeah. Um, but number wise made a ton of sense. Um, Macho Beanie looked like, you know, he, you know, sharp work recently, but the flow got off of this one, you know, I think, Laurent Giroux, you know, following those big, big jocks where they really don't need to ride anything but the best mounts is is something. But CJ McMahon, he's been a sneaky call for a few of these trainers to try to get, I think they're trying to get a better price on their horse and they get CJ up at times. Um, and then you have the Amos horse, Hardly Able, um, Edgar Morales, uh, who got bet pretty hard, you know, and uh, when, you know, Amos usually gets bet pretty hard when he's, when he's live. So... I like I like three in these. I like Charco. I liked uh, uh, Macho Beanie, and I liked Mike Glory B. Um, so I kicked off the pick five, singling Charco in three of my tickets, and then using those three um, in my other ticket that I was moving forward. It's going to be Charco as most of the play here for Kevin, but also Mike Glory B. And we're going a little bit of macho beanie for me. I'm kind of just going with the boss sauce, hoping I'm in the right spot there with this one. But let's see who gets it done right now. Running at the fairgrounds. Fast start for George Allen. Macho Beanie and the green cap is right there. And Charco also forcing the issue, but it's George Allen. 
George Allen has the five-year-old speed to just lead. A close Bacciobini and Charco across the track. The Boss Sauce now up into fourth. Hardly able is toward the inside. The Boss Sauce now is a wide fifth. As they dash past the half mile, then comes Star Redemption with Tambourine Star and My Glory B trails here in the Saturday opener. The quarter 22.09 seconds here in the breezy Big Easy with three furlongs to go. It's still George Allen who just leads with the rail for Ben Curtis. Machobini's been right there, too. George Allen, Machobini. They take this toward the quarter pole. Charco's in the three-path, hardly able. Gains toward the inside. Then the boss sauce with Tamarine Star. My Glory be on the far outside. And Star Redemption was last as they straightened away. It's George Allen, half mile. 45.64 seconds. With the rail, it's George Allen. Macho Bini, hardly able, looks to move up between horses. And here's My Glory B, who's charging hard on the outside. They come past the 16th with Emmanuel Nieves. It's My Glory B. My Glory B wins back to back. And it is My Glory B getting the job done. 74, the winning buyer. Can I a nice win mutual of 860? It's not going to... Not gonna pay the rent for them for the month, but it's a nice eight sixty winner compared to what we usually saw on the rest of the card there with some horses mostly paying under four dollars. I think <laughs> exactly what you said in this race, you know, Charco with the price, now he gets bet down, you know, to three to one and doesn't really run that well. So that that for me was a little yeah. bit confusing. Uh boss sauce dead heats for like six, so so maybe a little bit off there with our top picks, but you're so right about Mike Lori B. Just Something I've noticed in the in recently in just doing these podcasts is I feel like a lot of horse players are just forgetting about informed horses that are running seconds, thirds, and close seconds and thirds, and being decent prices, and they just don't either add them in or they just. I found a horse with a speed figure fifth, like you know, five or eight points higher. That horse is going to win. It's not always the case because they can always you know drop a little bit, have a bad worse trip. This one I thought you got a great price, three to one. Yeah, and, and your horse, you know, you're always wondering, like, am I getting value or is this horse chilly? And um, that's like a really, man, I'm working at getting a, a better uh, a better radar for that, you know, a, a real skill, you know, or intuition for it as it really kind of comes down to at the end, right? When I, But, like, when you have a horse with Corey Landry up um, and, and Al Landry and Corey Landry teaming up, um, you know, is, is not something we see all the time, but that, you know, they do, do get it done when the, usually when, when it's live and you think, all right, maybe this one is chilly because the boss sauce shouldn't have been eight to one. And so maybe the barn didn't like them and you got to watch them when the money comes in, you know, cause I'll see Landry's horses when they're live open up um, for the most part, you know, with bar, what you think is bar money. And then it kind of, the price floats up and maybe it takes another hit, you know, kind of as they're leaving the paddock. Um, so you got to watch when that money comes in, you got to get a feel for it. You got to be really, really tapped in. But yeah, that was, that was, that was a good horse to take a swing with in terms of the price. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this was Charco, you know, it was, he was outside chasing that pace, but, um, it's also, I think was an underlay because, you know, betters are thinking, all right, trainer who uh, does well with that first one after the claim. Um, and then that combined with uh Saez up, um, sometimes they just sort of get bet because they don't want to be uh, caught with their pants down when they see a situation like that. I, I think that's just, just hit spot on there. Just not trying to get caught like in that type of situation. Let us move on to the next race of this podcast race. Number six. It's a main special weight. Another one going six furlongs on the dirt. A lot of interesting spots in here. I know you have a small tangent to go on, but I just thought, yes, indeed, for our man Brian Hernandez, Sherry DeVoe, looking at the f- just 
nice steady workouts and you also have a nice solid five furlong work in there a lot of people talk about you know oh you know they're running 47 and twos at four and that's always well and good but then they might have those you know slower five furlong works i like to see one fast five furlong work along with some fast four furlong work so for me i thought yes indeed made a lot of sense here i had a couple of you know gate works that last one the 47 and two two of 26 fit really well for me this one uh by Bolt Dioro. They paid, you know, a lot, a lot of money for this one. I thought, yes, indeed, it looked quite well in here, especially when you got to price it above three to one. Yeah. So this, this race was, uh, was interesting. It was tough to, to, to miss with, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll tip my hand that I, that I missed. Um, I missed all day, Spencer, on, on Saturday, swung a miss and didn't, didn't make a dime. Um, but I like Motown Dynamic. That was, that was my top pick in here. Um, this is one of the beauties. I'm not sure if you've tapped into um, the work that uh, Bruno DiGiulio has been doing, how you can you can find the workout videos, not for every horse, um, not every track. You know, Kentucky, and you know, at Fairgrounds, he might have a few other ones. But up on KentuckyBread.org, I believe it is. Okay. Um, but it, So if you're not there in the mornings and, and you, you want to watch it, or like if I'm there in the mornings and I'm watching from the stands – um, down low and you can't see the full work um you can find a lot of them up there and, and motown, motown dynamic she uh she's been just a running fool in the mornings some some mornings i'm like oh wow she seems out of control but other times you just realize she's real relaxed and, sh- and she's sharp um she seems like she's going to be something pretty great you know just a, just a fifty-seven thousand dollar purchase so um you know maybe unassuming unassumingly so but um I liked her a lot. Um, Galia Princess, the number three, um, she was out working Cornishman in November at Churchill, and that's the only work that I could find from her. And that's I wouldn't hadn't been able to, to tap into her um, at Fairgrounds because she's been up in up in Kentucky. Um, but this is one thing that that I have to get that I'm I'm trying to trying to get better at is like you know I do all the notes writing at Fairgrounds, and so I'm talking to all the barns and. And whether it's whether I'm doing for notes riding or, or just being at the track and just sort of hearing what you hear about about horses, like trying to get a, a good feel for not only handicapping the races in terms of what you can see on the form, but also handicapping what you hear from people and the way they're yeah. talking about their horses, right? Um, and that it might just be something that you really can't crack the code of. But um, talking to Brad, and this was you know stuff we put out there and published. You know, he, he thinks she's a really nice filly. But um, sprinting, Amer- this American Pharaoh, he didn't think that she was going to win uh, first time out. So heard that, and I was like, cool. You know, I, I won't use her. It makes me love Motown Dynamic anymore. So I singled her. Um, let's see here. I'm just pulling up my bets. What fired up there in race six? The pick four. So I, I singled her pretty aggressively in the pick four. And uh, I, I liked the price that I was getting. So I, I put, a, put a good win bet on uh, Motown Dynamic. Motown dynamic for Kev. For me, I went with yes, indeed, getting another solid price, a little bit above three to one. Let's see if me and him can get it done here in the sixth right now. They're off. Believe her broke sharp. 
Plum Tricky and Casby up there on the extreme outside. And here comes Motown Dynamic, who's making an early move for Joel Rosario. Motown Dynamic takes the top. Plum Tricky stays close to her. New Woman is third between horses. Gallia Princess in this leading quartet after a sharp start. Believe her is running in fifth. Then toward the inside is Harbor Springs in sixth as they head toward the far turn. Yes, indeed, is wide. Absolute miracle between Phillies at the three and a half. Oh, my Mia with Bella Cruella. And Casby trails the maiden three-year-old Phillies sprint. The quarter went past in 22 point 19 seconds just inside three furlongs to go it's motown dynamic the leader coming toward the quarter pole plum tricky is Close there in second with Gallia Princess held up on the outside. Here comes this bit as they turn for home by Yes Indeed and Believer is right there too. Top of the stretch, half mile, 46.32. Motown Dynamic. Here comes Gallia Princess. Uh, drifting out there was Plum Tricky and Believer on the front outside. Toward the rail is Harbor Springs with a late bid. They're deep in the final furlong. It's Motown Dynamic. Gallia Princess on the outside. Motown Dynamic. Gallia Princess coming full on. Gallia Princess and Motown Dynamic. Gallia Princess and it is Galia Princess getting the job done. Seventy nine, the winning buyer. Fourteen twenty, the winning mutual. Uh, that's a that's a rough way to start the pick four, unfortunately, and just you know get nipped at the wire like that. Obviously, my pick uh, no good there. Sitting down there with a fifty seven buyer going off at three to one. So uh, me and you, it looks like we were swinging and missing all day. Yeah, but tough start, right? For yes, indeed. Yeah, for um, sure. So that was just sort of. You know, that's the, that's the deal, you know, especially with these lightly race horses, first time starters. So you might you might have a good one for sure. But yeah, it was a tough start. And yeah, I thought I was I felt pretty good in the stretch. Um, but then the, here comes Galia Princess. And, you know, in no way do I expect like a, a trainer to know exactly when their horses are going to win. So like no, you know, no, no hard, hard deal when, you know, they they tell you they don't think they're going to win. If they win that's you know you don't you don't know what you got until they start running right yeah um so galia princess seems like a good one should stretch out really well um but definitely one that you know from watching that work with cornishman in november i wouldn't have got i don't think i would have singled there and i could have maybe just not even approached the race in the same way with you know a bunch of first-time starters and, and not felt as confident maybe maybe i use just those two who knows what i would have done um but Harbor Springs, too, for Foley, that's one that uh, if anybody's looking at Greg Foley's horses, he's just he, he's got a, just an unbelievable barn right now. Everybody's coming out and running. They're yeah. doing fantastic. You know, I think his sons, you know, Travis and Alex have done such great work and bringing new owners and just really attracting some some really strong prospects. So um, you might, you know, have slept on a Foley first time starter in the past, but they've been they've been firing every time. So all that being said, I'm rambling here, Spencer, but um, I swung and I missed. Motown Dynamics a runner, and um, it's hard when you add just like that extra piece of information. I think that's sort of what I'm trying to sort through is sometimes the more information you have, um, the less likely you're going to make the right decision. And so whether you want to incorporate, you know, what Barnes are saying about their horses, reading the narratives about it and all that sort of stuff, whether you just want to rely on on pedigree or speed figures or workouts or whatever it is. Uh, whether you're trying to look at everything, I think I make the mistake of trying to look at everything, especially during the meet where I want to be on air. I want to have as much information for people as possible. And sometimes it muddles up uh, maybe uh, my ability to, to get it right. But I mean, this game's so hard. I, I was right about Motown Dynamic, but just uh, just missed there by a head. I, I always find it hard. And two questions with the Brad Cox runner for me. It's just like, oh, I don't think she'll win first time out, but I will put a 41% jockey on top and just see 
see what he can do with her. Seems to me like they maybe liked it a little bit better than they thought. And then for me, that training track work, the last one there in, in January, do you find a notion with that? Like, are you noticing that uh, Brad's doing the training track on the last start more often than not? Or is it more, you know, this is one that they just probably, the track wasn't ready. So they said, okay, we're going to the training track today. It wasn't the mud. But I, I always find that interesting when you look through workouts and all of a sudden you just see a training track, which is very, you know, just random on the page. And it's like, oh, I wonder if they just thought something different that there, if it was because of weather or whatnot. Yeah, there was, you could see a little bit of a different spacing there, too. They were on the, you know, every week as they do. And then it was it was a little bit longer. It was, it was muddy. So I'm wondering if it was weather. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I see that with uh, um, Shane Wilson. Like, he's got a bunch in, up in Louisiana Downs. Yeah. Asmussen does, too. And, like, oh, these are the ones that have been training up there. And now they're coming here. Like, is this, and, and I don't I, – I'd love to keep track of that and yeah. have a sense for that, um, to dial that in. But, but I don't. And th- those are maybe the sort of things where – you, you want to know, you know, maybe that's a better question, you know, sort of getting that sort of scoop when you are talking to the barn, just like, who do you got up there? And, you know, when you do move over or what happened to that work and, and maybe I just missed the, uh, the reporter's opportunity to ask about that work. So, um, but yeah, I think that's interesting. Let's move on to the last race of the card, last race of the podcast, the grade three LeCompte, one on one sixty miles on the dirt. We're heading on the Derby trail, uh, for me, and pretty much like every race so far that we've talked about, I just kind of found one horse, and I just thought Track Phantom, Steve Asmussen, that Gunrunner race was just so lights out good. That has that fast uh, time form pace figure of a 136 there in that second quarter. Always been improving. Rosario gets back aboard. It's either been Rosario or Torres, and listen, this horse has yet to miss the board. I just thought this one, 500,000 by Quality Road, just I think oozes potential and oozes you know, a little bit more than what the best had in this race for this one. Yeah. For me, it was, it was, yeah, it was either Nash or track phantom. And, um, it just seemed, you know, pretty obvious there. And I was, um, you know, maybe can group, you know, if you could get sneaky, it's like, Oh, maybe that would be the one that it like, you try to think like, what would be the, uh, the upsetter here? The, the call me midnight, you know, like the Sormo had a couple years ago. And I was like, well, maybe that one, you know, it's just, they're going to sleep on can group and Cassie's one, two LeComps. And, but I think that's just me try, sort of think through what, what to talk about with it. It was Nash or track phantom. And I went with Nash. I felt like, um, in the gun runner, um, broke a little bit slow and people weren't, weren't picking up on that and sort of forced his hand with, with his running style. And then, went way too fast through that, uh, through that second call. I think he went 22 and change. And, um, and I thought he just had a tough little spot there at the top of the stretch where he had uh track phantom measured up and Sneed was coming from his outside. He, he kind of went on the fritz a little bit. He kind of was just like, Whoa, you know, this is, it was overload. He didn't have that, that, uh, the maturity yet to, uh, to be able to handle both of that's going on at the same time. And, and he, he was working well, working working ahead of uh, Saudi Crown, but you can just see they were just using Saudi Crown to sort of maybe increase his confidence or something like that. Um, yeah, so I went with Nash um, on top of here, and I uh, I was I was not alive in my um, uh, pick five at this time, but I'm just pulling it up real quick. Um, so I I bait I like I. I did a, a pretty big one, just uh, my top picks in here. I was trying to get value in that first leg with uh, trying my heart out. Yeah. Um, so I had like a, you know, here's a $5 pick five, two, six, two, two, two. And then I just sort of added horses in, always leaning on that too. Um, and so I used a, a piece of uh, of Track Phantom in a couple tickets, 
But, you know, most of my money was going through Nash. And Nash for Kevin. For me, I'm going to go with Track Phantom. It's a showdown here in the last in the Lecomte. Let's see who gets it done right now. And the Lecomte stakes. And toward the inside, Nash. And there's Track Phantom, the Gunrunner stakes winner, as they hook up early, heading toward the first turn. Lap long and nearest the inside, Ethan Energy. Then an early gap back there, two on the outside. Can Group and Tizzy Indy has dropped back to last at the six and a half. It's Track Phantom. So Track Phantom, one to the front for Joel Rosario, and leads here Nash, who's staying right there with Track Phantom. Nash is running second with Florent Giroux in the Godolphin Blue as Latlong comes up three wide, making this backstretch run, and Ethan Energy is tracking them from fourth in the gold cap. Then a big break back there to the trailers. Can Group and Tizzy Indy remains last of the six. It's Track Phantom who leads Nash. Quarter and 24.01 seconds. Here's the half-mile pole. Track Phantom continues out in front of Nash, who stays focused in on Track Phantom, who clocked that half-mile in 48.36 seconds. Ethan Energy is now just in third from Latlong. Must be 15 lengths back. Toucan Group and Tizzy Indy remains last, but now with inside three for longs to go. It's Track Phantom. Nash has been right there near with Track Phantom. Track Phantom and Nash as these three-year-olds turn for home. Lat Long on the outside and Ethan Energy, and these are well clear. Three-quarters in one minute, 13.15 seconds. It's Track Phantom who sets sail for the final furlong. Nash in full stretch. It's Track Phantom who has the kick. Nash chased the pace. Then Lat Long, Ethan Energy, well back to Tizzy Indy, now fifth. It is Track Phantom with Joel Rosario. Track Phantom Wire to wire in the Lacombe. And it is Track Phantom that gets it done. 90, the winning buyer. Looking at a nice, or a nice mutual. I guess it is a nice mutual, 480. We can find value like that. The top two kind of, you know, go at each other here, both under two to one. Uh, Ethan Energy, the other one that was kind of the uh, the not long shot of the race. What'd you kind of think when the, uh, when the dust settled here? Yeah, I mean, I thought that race was was one in the turn, right? When uh, it, it's the same situation. He did have the advantageous draw in terms of if you want to be forward, you know, coming from that outside, you can kind of, you can force the picture a little bit easier sometimes unless you just have, you know, crazy speed on that inside spot. And he just dominated, you know? I mean, I, I, I Nash, I think, is completely out of the the derby picture. You know, I, I think, I don't, I don't think he's going to be able to uh, to step forward. He might be a nice horse at a different distance or a different time this year, but um, I don't think the uh, the Derby is 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 in his cards. Um, Track Phantom, I think, is a nice runner. Now we, I don't think we can see. I think that was a pretty easy race, and um, you know he didn't move forward big time in terms of just looking at the um, the buyers and the Brisnet figures. And I don't think, you know, with Thurgraf, you know, not going so fast and being on the rail. So is Track Phantom going to be one that you really want to think about for uh, for the Kentucky Derby? I mean, obviously, Asmus is going to develop him. Obviously, he's done nothing wrong. Um, it could be interesting. He could just have, have light figures and, and really maybe pop in a, in a good way. But um, but Nash was just unimpressive. And, um, he, you know, Spencer, he's... he's I, I find that this happens to me more when I'm when I'm working as as a public handicapper, like on air at fairgrounds, where I'll, I'll get like who's your Philly? I think this is who's your Philly number two, and I can't believe I'm sort of in the same spot. I I, I can't remember exactly. I think I got off who's your Philly for the second race, 
but I just like got into the hype, you know, yeah. I loved it. You know, the workouts, everything here for the barn, you know, you just, you get into it and you start thinking like, yeah, this is, this is the one that's going to be the deal. And then, you know, Asperson's barn tends to be a little bit more quiet. And, um, also, uh, you know, just sort of visit a different position. There's just two different, you know, two different scenarios, but, um, there was some value there for track phantom because everybody still was on Nash. you know, was it one to two in the last race and, um, gets beat handily by phantom and still, um, so all I'm saying is, man, this is the type of, of horse that I, I like to eat for, for breakfast in terms of swinging against, but here I am, you know, using it. And it's just such an opportunity to go against, even if you're just getting that slight little value of using track phantom over Nash or, or whatever it might be, because I don't know what else you would have done in that race. Um, Ethan energy was ranked, you know, and, and just throughout that backstretch, I thought he was asked a ton, a ton in that debut uh, or that maiden win last out. And I thought he was either going to, bounce off of it or just sort of not be able to hang and I'm, I'm not sure which one it was um but he didn't impress at all so back to the drawing board with the with a couple of these cox runners in here lat long i think he could still step forward uh coming out of this one i thought he ran well um mcpeak has been saying that he's still green still learning so he could he could get it done he could be interesting and obviously can group's going to be on back on the turf next out I will say this for, for Nash, the 97 obviously like is the one number that sticks out like a sore thumb. And, you know, we were going into, you know, the Kentucky Derby last year, is there going to be a horse that could run a hundred that would win the Derby? And I feel like having that 97, maybe he's not Derby trail, but I mean, one of those undercard races, I mean, I can definitely see Nash popping up and, you know, the way the, the purses are now, it's, you know, it's a $250,000 listed stake on Derby day. That's a nice little chump chump change there for uh, a horse like Nash. I think that in this race, yeah, I went from an 84 to an 85, but that 97 to me is still the best number in this race. Track them went up to a 90. Yeah, I guess I didn't clarify my, my, my position on Nash. is like, that's just not a good number. Yeah. Um, so that day, he was able to get the lead, and he was game, you know, to, to fight off some bids early. But uh, it was a speed favoring track. And, um, you know, not too much has come out of that. I think there was one next out winner there, that third place horse, but, uh, that's just not a good number, I think, you know, and it's, and it's a number that you just want to try to beat as much as possible, you know, a horse that runs that early on, um, because they're going to get bet so hard, right. in that in that next race and, and there's, there's good value in it. Right. And this is too, too off of it, but yeah, I think that's a bad number. I don't think, I don't think he, he was the, uh, when you think of a 97 buyer horse, I don't think Nash is that now. Now he could be as a four-year-old, right? He, he could have more to show because he definitely has been impressing the barn in the morning and, uh, and me and other other watchers, right? So he, he could have more to show, but I think he still fits, isn't figuring himself out physically um, and uh, how his, his sort of stride, how he can find it. So yeah, that that's I guess that's my point is that that 97 is no good. Nash with a bad number in that maiden racetrack phantom improving, but probably good and not good enough yet for, you know, a higher place on the Derby trail. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. Do want to thank my special guest, Kevin Kilroy for coming on talking all things fairgrounds. Kevin, what do you got going on down at the fairgrounds this coming up weekend? When's the next big race day going on? Uh, Mardi Gras day. We got the Mardi Gras stakes, which could be a really good one. Spencer, you got Ouvray. I'm not sure if you followed her, but she's been, been a really game runner. And then, uh, overcharged, who is our, our law bred uh, extraordinaire. She's just, um, I think she's 10 for 13. She's by star guitar. She's amazing. I think she's going to step up against uh, open company and take on uh, Ouvray in the Mardi Gras stakes on the turf. So uh, 
uh, definitely join us for that. And other than that, we've got exotic animal racings in the, in this weekend, you know, you got to love uh, a little <laughs> ostrich race. So, uh, looking forward to that too. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Spencer. I want to thank everyone who listens to this show and the rest of the shows on the, in the money media network. Also want to thank my special guest, Kevin Kilroy for coming on talking all thing fairgrounds racing with myself. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.